We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Jesse Marsh, head coach of Red Bull Salzburg. He came on the webinar last week. Unbelievable insight. So I decided to release this as a podcast as well. Some of the visuals are obviously not there, but they are on the modernsoccercoach.com. This whole presentation is there some absolute gold in here about the environment, what he built at New York and some things he has in his coaching philosophy that he puts into action and practice every day with his players. So I'm sure you'll love it. If you want to check out the full thing, please, modernsoccercoach.com, go to latest. If you want to support what we're doing at Modern Soccer Coach, please go to the shop, look at the books. If you wanted to order something, it would be a huge help. Before we jump into things, a quick shout out to our friends at Sports Lab 360 who have teamed up with us on this podcast. They are providing their biggest discount yet and who better to offer it to than the Modern Soccer Coach listeners. So I would encourage everyone to stick around at the halfway point, take full advantage. So big thanks to Sports Lab 360. Please let me know what you think about this. At Gary Kareen on Twitter, at Gary Kareen on Instagram. Here is Jesse. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome. We're, we're so excited to have you and really, really appreciate um, your insight over this whole break has been inspirational for a, a coach of your stature to be sharing so much. Um, and we're also appreciative of your time. So I'm not going to waste any more of it. Uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, listen, I, I've done a few of these. I, I kind of always preface this uh, by saying some of these things, but I try to do something a little bit different. I've done some tactical things. I've done some where I talk about you know, my leadership uh, ideas. This time I'm, I'm going to go a little bit more into the kind of environment that we try to create, how we communicate, how what it's like to kind of show up, and then how we help put everything together to then be what our team is. Um, so I, I have a little presentation, which I'm always not, I'm not always the biggest fan of, but we're going to go that way. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I think it'll be all right. So, you know, this is kind of how I start talking about teams. And by the way, if I say this a lot, have a plan, right? Um, now, what, what is the plan? Well, the plan is, is, is a, can be a million things, but certainly as a starting point for me, the plan has to be a tactical way of playing, an idea, a philosophy, what, however you want to call it. But the, the details of how you play, what you do on the field, uh, what's the, you know, with the ball, without the ball, in transition moments, set pieces, how you create sophistication within your team, this winds up being very, very vital to, to your team's success. Okay, but that, that I focused on that in some other Zoom calls uh, and different uh, meetings I've had. And, and this is going to be more about a lot of the other stuff because it's, it's the stuff that I really like. So, you know, here's the have a plan, playing philosophy, the communication style. So this winds up being vital, right? It's a big way to define your identity as a team, as a club, and, and certainly as a coach. Um, you know, I'm very open. Uh, they, they said this to me here in Germany and Austria that they describe Americans as open and then they describe me as very open. And, and I think that that is really, really important that you can have conversations with people on a one V one basis in small groups with the team and you can communicate clearly, but you can also share your personality in a way that makes it clear to everybody, you know, how to interact. And, and we're all, as leaders, I think obviously the things we say and the things we do are very important. Um, but I think it's almost more the, the, the way in which we say and do those things, right? It's the body language, it's the empathy, it's the, it's the listening ability. So, so that winds up being very, very vital. And, and what I'll show here is also the communication extends itself to, to how you educate. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more about that later. The daily routine and the methods, what it's like when you show up, what the work is like every day on the pitch, what it's like in the video room, what it's like 
um, with individual meetings, um, the, the, the way that you're able to translate or you know, create training sessions that translate clearly to the, to the, the way that you're trying to play. Um, yeah, I mean, the work ethic, the, all of this, right? This winds up being a big part of the plan. And certainly, again, it's very important that as the coach or the leader that you embody these things 100%, okay? And then, you know, this part is, is an interesting one, is, um, and I spelt environment wrong. <laughs> um, but the learning environment versus the result-based environment, right? Um, we all say that, we like to create learning environments and, and, and that we're about development. Um, I think it's very important to do that the right way, but, you know, I mean, winning is also, uh, a learned quality or a, a skill or a, yeah, some, it's a talent, but this part of now still understanding and certainly in the world of a professional coach that where we're often judged by results, the understanding of how to create a learning environment that can ultimately lead to being result-based. Um, and so it's, you know, I call it a process, people call it different things, um, but obviously it has to, over the course of a season, it has to be tilted more and more and more, certainly when you're talking about playoffs and MLS, but even when you're talking about Champions League, when you're talking about Europa League, when you're talking about Cup Tournament, when you're talking about, you know, getting toward the end of the season and the table, these, the results become more and more important. And so your ability to create a process, but that is moving more and more toward the ultimate goal of being a champion, um, is, is really important and vital to your success. So I'll walk you through a little bit of that. And here's where I'm gonna start. Um, it's, it's a video that I gave to my team in New York a little bit uh, that we, we had preseason. And then before we started our first game, I, um, I put this video in front of the team. Okay, so I'm gonna try to simultaneously um, play the video as well as uh, this, the audio together and hopefully it will function. And if it doesn't, Gary, please let me know, okay? What they are really asking, what they want to know, 
as if they have to break through everyday normality to achieve a result? Do we have to make ourselves uncomfortable? Do we have to give more than we normally would? Do we have to be better than we were yesterday? If that answer is yes, the vast majority say thank you, but no thank you. And that's where defining opportunities open up. Great means you have the desire to set yourself apart. Difficult means you have the dedication and the drive to do the little things no one else wanted to do. There is nothing miraculous about greatness. It is not divine. It is not incredible. It's simply seeing the word difficult as a staircase instead of a brick wall. It means you get the opportunity to both give more of yourself and get more from the world. It is your secret door, your passageway. If the incremental progress, the growth, and the sacrifice are worth the prize, easy, difficult, and everything in between fades away. The only thing worth a second of your time is making sure that every step you Okay, hopefully that functioned okay. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, we were trying, uh, we, we talked a little bit about difficult moments in, the, in this preseason. We were, we were uh, going to go right into Champions League quarterfinals uh, that year. That was the beginning of 2018 yeah, or 17, I'm not sure. And, you know, we, one of the things we talked about was being our best when things were the most difficult. And, and there was this in New York, I mean, each club is a little bit different, but in New York, there was trying to get over the hump because the club had been very good for many years, but had never won a championship and the, and the group really wanted to get there um, uh, badly. So, you know, trying to empower them to understand how to perform their best in the, in the biggest moments. And, and so that was, you know, that was a big talking point for us that year. But, you know, and the, the inspirational part of some of these things, certainly our, our video team in New York did an amazing job of putting that whole video together and helping me out through that. But the, but the, 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 I think the, 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 the pictures are amazing, but it's the message for me that, that was really, really important to that group. Um, nope, sorry, we gotta go to the next part. Okay, so, you know, but, and then, you know, talking about the process and, and wanting them to embrace some of these things. And, and then we went, you know, we, a lot of years we would go through, okay, how do we, how do we get better? How do we learn? How do we create a, a developing a, a environment about development? You know, so we would talk a lot about uh, in training what we did every day, what it was like when you came to work. When I first came to New York, the, the, the club had nothing on the walls. It was gray. The training facility was beautiful, but it had no life, right? So that was the first thing I said is I'm like, we need pictures up here. We need uh, Red Bull banners. We need messaging. I'm a big fan of messaging, right? And so even when we walked out to go to the field, we had messaging, things you had to do before you went out on the pitch, visualizations. And then, yeah, obviously what we did uh, um, in work every day. And a big part of that was the video. Um, and maybe you've heard, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more, but the video winds up being very important to me. Um, yes, setting goals. A big part of setting goals is understanding how to measure things. And I learned that from Ali Curtis. He was the sporting director that was in New York. And, and, I, and I, you know, we talked a lot about the psychology of the brain and how you create success from a psychological perspective. And, and everyone you talk to who uh, has expertise in this field would tell you that goals are so important. Well, the only way to have goals are to create measurables. So we'll go into that a little bit. I mean, we would break the season up into quarters. We would have goals for set pieces, for for statistical things, for um, you know uh, environmental things such as how many times guys were late or you know. Um, we created bonuses for things that if, if the environment was proper, that, that they were rewarded in certain ways. So I'll go a little bit into that communication interaction. This is, again, this is part that I already talked about. That's a, a very daily, daily process. And then, you know, the theory and practice, and that can be everything from, 
How do you put theories of your playing style to practice? How do you put theories of your leadership style to practice? How do you put your theories of your communication style to practice? And, and, and listen, I, a lot of the things I do, even to this day, and, and even though I'm, I've have, I have more years under, of experience now, there's still so many things that I do that I try and I, sometimes I fail or I see that oh, if I did it again, maybe if I did it a little bit differently and, and, and I could find a way to iron it out this way. And so, you know, it's almost like trying to find a way to get to the core of what I want to be, who I want to be, and what I want our teams to be. That's, that's ultimately going to be the measure of how well I do as a coach. So, yes. So, here's my vid the video room we had in New York, okay? Um, we spent a lot of time in there. So, you can see how big the screen is, right? This winds up being really important. Like, when you have a small TV screen and, and now you have to go through video, it's harder to capture the attention of the players, right? And so, whatever, however you want to do this, whatever level you're talking about, the, the type of environment in the video room is incredibly important. We had also, you can see our, our little table there. Can you see my arrow, by the way? All yes, things. all good. Okay, good, good. So that's where we would kind of draw some things with magnets. Here, uh, uh, this was our fine wheel. You may have heard about this, but we had, a, we had a fine wheel where if, and this was for minor infractions, but if they came late or if they wore the wrong clothes on the road or if, um, they did something in training that was, then they would have to spin the wheel and there were all different, um, different, uh, fines on there. So that was something that we did and we really enjoyed. Also behind there is a big fan. <laughs> it was, it gets hot sometimes and you need to keep their attention and make sure that things are rolling. But in the end, the video, you know, after a year in New York, they, the players started calling the video room, the classroom. And that in itself, I considered success. Because when we went to that room, it was, it was about teaching and it was about learning. And, you know, if you go to the coaching courses, they'll tell you, oh, on the field, you have to stop a lot of times, then explain. And yes, there are the times to do that. There's no doubt. But for me and for, for the environments I like to create, I like training that, okay, it has stoppages, but it has flow. And there, of course, there's always time to talk about how to do things better in training and how to improve but we try, I try to do a lot of the, 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 the coaching and teaching in the video room. And we go through training, we go through teams, we go through opponents, we go through, uh, we go through games, we go through a lot of different things. And, and, you know, and then the field is the place for me to put the classroom to practice. So again, theory and practice. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, I, I've had, I've had, hour sessions. I prefer not to have hour sessions. I try, you know, now with video, I have a video man. He's the only person I brought with me to Salzburg from New York. And he makes sure that everything we do is so precise and clean and accurate and exactly how we want it to be done. Um, and that winds up being really important, the efficiency at which the video is presented. Um, but in the end, if it takes an hour, it takes an hour. You know, you don't want it to always, you want to be efficient. The players have to adapt. And everywhere I've gone, they've always told me, oh, video, you can't have video too long. You can't, have video. you can't do that in MLS. You can't do that in Europe. You can't do that in Germany. It's the only way, really, for players to fully understand how we want to try to do things, right? And, and this can be done in a million ways. Now, I try to put funny things in there sometimes. I try to make it interactive and ask questions. Um, sometimes I have players present. We'll do small groups. We'll do individual but the team setting is the one that's, that's most important. And, you, and I try to create vulnerability. And I, I say a lot that I use my learning German here in, in Salzburg as, as a big way to show how vulnerable I am. Um, but in general, when you sit in a, in a classroom setting, if everyone just sits there and acts like they just want the video to be over, then nobody's achieving anything. It has to be something where, and, and I hear constantly that, oh, it's too long or this, but it has to be something where they're engaged, where they believe in what's doing and they understand what we're trying to achieve. And they're also ready to be called on if necessary so that their attention span, span stays strong. So anyways, that becomes very, very, very important to me, vital. Okay, next, I talked about measurables. Here is our way of sort of statistically analyzing a game. And I took this from New York. We've changed it a little bit for how we do things here in Salzburg. 
But we tried to create um, different categories. I think there's 19 categories here. We called them attitude points. I got that term from Jay Wright in Villanova basketball. They won the national championship and he called them attitude points and he called them their own statistics where they tried to encourage the type of behavior that they wanted from their players that were outside of what the normal statistics that basketball tracks, right? So he would say like times they would dive on the floor or offensive rebounds or, or picks, successful picks, things that would never be judged by the TV or by normal uh, statistical uh, parameters. And so, you know, we have a collection here of different things. Against the ball for us is really important. So we have most of our statistical um, things that we track are things that we call against the ball. Now we have some things that are set piece related. We have some things that are um, that are with the ball related. But we and then we have goals for each position for for uh, each game. We have and then we have point totals that we're looking to get as a team. And and then we have players that that wind up winning a point session for the, for the game. We'll oft, we would often uh, highlight who, who the, uh, the point uh, leader was. In this game, it was Aaron Long, our center back from New York. And we, we, we would sometimes put together a highlight tape and he would get to pick the music and we would play it in front of the team, uh, especially if we won. That was something that we did and, and they would enjoy that. But again, it, it's about finding ways for them to be measured. Are we playing the way we want to play? Finding ways for them to be rewarded, finding ways for them to be uh, kind of judged against each other. And then in the end, we, we still found that if we met our attitude point goals, that our winning percentage was higher. So that was always a big thing. And then some games before the game, we would say, all right, against this team, they have a lot of crosses, so we want to block as many crosses and we'll, we'll, we'll award double points for that. Or aerial balls, aerial duels will be important. So initiating contact is, we'll, we'll give triple for that or second balls or whatever it may be, right? Um, but we would really use this as a way to look at are we, are we achieving the things that we want to achieve uh, on, a, on a game-to-game basis, okay? Then I put this in here because... We had player development agreements with players where actually they would sit down and they would come to us first and say what things they thought that, that they wanted to work on and that they wanted to track in games. And we would separately as a staff come up with our own ideas. And ideally, we would come together and we would have the same ideas because we talked so much about improvement and what were the next steps. And, and then we could build a development plan together. So this was not the coaching staff giving it to them. This was them also contributing and taking the first step and then us guiding them a little bit. I also purposely put Bradley Wright Phillips in here. Okay, so Bradley was probably our best player. He was one of our oldest players. And, you know, I've heard a lot that, that some people think that older players um, – they don't develop the way that younger players do. And that, um, you know, after certain ages that, you know, it's time to maybe move in other directions. I understand those arguments, but if that's how people feel, then, then it's almost like, well, what am I doing as a coach? I'm wasting my time because as I get older, am I going to be so stubborn that I don't want to develop more and I don't want to learn more and I can't get better? Like, I think that's a ridiculous concept. For me, it's more about what kind of environment do you create? Do you create an environment where players actually want to get better? And, and maybe your way to evaluate that the best is by how, how much improvement does your oldest player show, right? And for us, a lot of the things, so, so with Brad here, we had a few different things and, and, and Brad was so great with these kinds of conversations. But also with the older players and, and what we did, because in Red Bull, we, we, we care so much about developing young players. We would often, the first thing I said is when I sat down with Bradley Wright Phillips, Sasha Kleschen, Dax McCarty, Luis Robles, our four oldest players was, you guys have to, if you're going to be here, you have to commit to developing players that are younger than you that play your position and the, and the group as a whole. And that might mean that if you do such a good job that they take your place, right? But in theory, the more that you're able to commit to that, you're such a good player that you're going to contribute can, uh, you're going to be able to continue to contribute to the overall team and your value to the club will actually grow 
because regardless of if you're performing or not on the field, if you're helping these younger players develop and get better, it's going to help the team, it's going to help the club, and those players are going to get opportunities to move on if we sell them, right? And, and so that, that increases, increases your chances of being here longer. So, you know, it took a lot of convincing in some of these things, but it became clear the more that I engaged them and the more that I trusted them and the more that they trusted me. So that winds up being really important. And, and, and Bradley Wright Phillips was an incredible example of that. Okay. I'm trying to think if anything here, it was funny. We had this one here because um, he worked so hard for the team, but one of the things he would do too often is as the other team would move their line, he would stand five yards offside because he was so tired from running. And then when we would win balls, we'd go to play with him. He'd still be offside. And it was hard to criticize him because he worked so hard for the team. But, but we put that in there to, to still, um, <laughs> but that was the only negative we had. All of the other ones were pretty positive. That, that one he had uh, a negative. We put that on his point to, on his attitude point total that he was uh, a negative for being offside. So then, you know, we also have a psychological terminology and, and, and I've developed this over the years with different things at different moments. I like using examples from other sports um, uh, to, to help our players understand that, you know, they're not the first people to go through fearful moments. They're not the first people to be challenged at the highest level. They're not the first people to, to fail. Right. But the, but the, there's also a pathway to figure out how to get to success, how to, how to challenge each other more, how to, to commit to things more, and ultimately how to f create a pathway to success and championships. So, you know, I mean, I could go through all of these, right? And, and some of these I'm sure would, would, would resonate with different people at different things. But, you know, these are a lot of, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into every detail of everything that we do, but, but we create sort of these markers almost, these, these short phrases that explain, you know, what, what we want, what we need at certain moments. And, and you know, the, the last one I did in red is all in because ultimately that's what we want is we, and, and I, I, I help the, the players help me define what all in meant at New York. And then we've redefined it at different places, but in New York, it was giving everything you have every day to the team, this regardless of personal situation. Um, and, and so, you know, that was important. Um, and, and, you know, the teams that I've been a part of have, have done that in a really good way. All right. Last one is, again, when I was talking about how things in a season move along from development and starting a pathway in the preseason and getting into the season and learning more about yourself and communicating what we're trying to achieve, creating development paths for individuals and also for the group, creating a learning environment where people get better every day, challenge themselves, challenge each other. And the ultimate goal is to help your team get better and better and players to get better and better so that in the end you can compete for things, you can win things. And like the, the best thing that someone can say about somebody who is a competitor is that they're a winner, right? And it, we, I mean, for all of us who saw The Last Dance, Michael Jordan did this at a high level. At what cost? You can always talk about what that means for any individual, any team, any sport. But, you know, uh, I think being called a winner is a, is a massive compliment. Um, so now let's see if we can get this part right. <laughs> Sorry, I'll say really quick. This is what we played for the team right before we went to the playoffs. Okay, the, the game before we played in the playoffs.
Okay, um, let's see, you know, just trying to give you a little bit of an insight as to, you know, how I try to push the environment every day and, and what, what kind of things we, 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 we value and, 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 you know, what, what goes into the, all the other parts of, of making a team. So, yeah, um, maybe we can go into some questions now. What do you think about that? Just take a quick break here. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Sports Lab 360 have offered Modern Soccer Coach listeners their biggest discount yet. Through June 12th, the platform is yours for half price. Whether your team or club is remote or not, Sports Lab 360 is such a powerful tool when it comes to driving the soccer IQ development of your players. As a coach, you can choose from their library of over 60 modules that address various tactical principles of play and assign them to your players. The modules themselves engage players in a way that sharing YouTube videos or other sources of tactical information just cannot do. And then features like customization of modules, tracking of progress, and many others make it almost a necessity for any youth team that prioritizes game intelligent and soccer IQ component of player development. At half off, it's something I would personally encourage all coaches listening to go and take advantage of. If you don't coach at the youth level, you're more than welcome to share it with your colleagues who do. They will thank you for it. The half price code that you can use at www.sportslab360 is Soccer IQ Promo 9. And again, this is only valid until June 12th. Go and check it out. Sportslab360.com Soccer IQ Promo 9. All one word. Highly, highly recommend it. Back to Jesse. You mentioned the importance of messaging and being consistent with that messaging. Do you think it's possible that a coach can potentially disrupt that uh, messaging or maybe unbalance it by playing a game style, talking about the engrossed mindset, X, Y, and Z off the pitch, and then playing a game style that's more withdrawn, more late, more um, defensive? Or do you think they have to be balanced together? Yeah, I mean, I would think that, you know, you have to create, I think you have to find messaging that matches what you're trying to achieve. That's, that's for sure. Um, you know, and, and in general you can see we're aggressive <laughs> even you know when when the music comes it's usually you know something that drives you that that motivates you that you know and i and and i always have to find my balance because i liked going full throttle and sometimes i need to make sure the team is still calm right so it's different things at different moments that's not something we do before every game or certain games we feel like okay actually we need to be calmer now um and so in general, yeah, you, you, you have to make sure that it, there's consistency, right? That the players know what to expect, that they understand who I am as a leader, who they are as people, and how they fit into the ecosystem, and, and that I'm clear with how the ecosystem operates. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not the only driver of the ecosystem. It's, it, there's a lot of, uh, I try to make it so that everyone is, but certainly consistency. Consistency is really important. Yeah, just on that subject then with leadership and making sure that there seems to be a, a real intention about getting other people uh, to to step up and to drive it. Uh, with that wheel, the fines wheel, I mean, how do you balance between that player-owned culture with risk, discipline and rules? How do you get that right? Well, I, for, for me, it's I, I, have, I have a job of setting the minimum standards. Right. And the minimum standards are not when I say minimum, it's not that they're low standards. They're often very high standards of how you show up every day, how you talk to another, how you commit to the group. Those things have to be totally clear. Right. And there has to be very little flexibility in, in, in those standards. Right. 
and the goal is that the minimum standards can kind of be raised all the time. So that's why I would say sometimes if, if the team, everyone was on time for a, a month, if everyone did, you know, whatever, you, however you want to do this, that there are rewards, not just fines, right? That, that, that it's, it's, it works both ways. Um, and so um, in the end, it's, it's about, and I often say if the players hold each other accountable, then it, then it often holds more weight because already with just my job title, I have power and, and I'm expected to wield it at certain times and certain moments. But it's more important, I think, when there's pressure from the group than just from the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, and, and, and it's pretty easy to access the power of the group if you, if you understand the people individually and, and then how the qualities fit together. With this full throttle message and how do you manage sports science? Do you have them pulling you back? We have a very, we're very, we have a strong methodology that involves how we do things physically. Um, And I'm very disciplined with what, what we do. I I almost never go um, above. If we set a physical goal for the, for the day, I almost never go above it and I'll stop training almost in the middle of training if the numbers start to climb too high. So we're very scientific with what we do every day and how we do it and how much load we give our players. And, and we think that that's incredibly important for their fitness and for injury prevention. You're... But, but let me just finish, sorry. Yeah. But when we train, we trade hard. <laughs> so it might not be long and we do short amounts. Like it might only be 60 seconds for a specific exercise, but it is a hundred percent. And I'm a big believer in creating this kind of, you know, intensity and chaotic type training sessions. And then they adapt and their bodies grow more and more used to playing at this speed. Brilliant. Minds. You said in an interview last year that you have personally gotten more comfortable with being uncomfortable. I wanted to ask you with the obvious example of moving from the U.S. to another country, another culture, has this also extended to leadership styles, coaching, uh, play in certain ways? or And if so, what are other ways that coaches can do this today? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, this corona time has been interesting, right? It's a reflective time for everybody, I think. Um, I've been able to use it to, to host some 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 of these webinars, and then I've been able to actually sit on some as well. Um, also for me, a big way of thinking outside the box is other sports. Like I love learning from other sports. I love learning from, um, you know, basketball, rowing. That was the beauty of when I worked in colleges. I worked at Northwestern as an assistant and I worked at Princeton as an assistant. And being in the university sports setting is incredible because there's all these different sports, men's and women's, and they all have different training methods and there's so much to learn from, from everywhere. And, you know, that's so maybe my new comfort zone is being uncomfortable. Right. And, and, and by coming here, I'm almost seeking out that feeling. Right. And, and even with my kids, you know, it's not easy for them. I, some days I drop them off at work and I think, am I doing the right thing? You know, I'm, I'm putting them in international schools. I'm challenging them to learn a new language. They left all their friends and, and fun things behind, but they've grown so much. And, and my wife and I are seeing it before our eyes, and, and it's something we're very proud of. It doesn't mean that every day is easy because it's not with them or with me. But in the end, I think things in life that are meaningful, that you have to fight for them, right? You have to, like, it's, like everybody can do the easy things. It's the difficult things that, that I think set people apart. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my personal mission in life, I guess. Um, it's my children suffer for that. <laughs> but this, this is who we are. This is who we are. You mentioned the Bulls uh, documentary, which we've all got into over the break. How would you manage Dennis Rodman? Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate um, uh, Phil Jackson's uh, patience and tolerance, uh, of, of Dennis Rodman. Um, you know, again, I, there's, there, there's always room for individuals. And I often, I, I often say that I have more, and this might not be a fair way of thinking about things, but I have more patience and flexibility with the guys that have a harder time following all of the rules because maybe they come from tougher neighborhoods or tougher situations 
than I do for the guys who grew up in good families and, and went to good colleges. And, you know, the perfect example, I, I used to say this to Sean Davis is my standard for Sean Davis was maybe higher. And he was a kid that went to Duke university that played in the New York Red Bulls. My standard for him was maybe higher than everybody else because I knew what an intelligent young man he was. I knew how principled he was. I knew the potential. And so when he would screw up, I had less tolerance. Um, than when some of the guys from the Central America or South America that grew up in Africa, that grew up in tough situations. But there's also still the way of, of having flexibility, but also making sure that they understand how in their own way to meet the team standards. And so I guess that's what Phil did. You know, um, I, I think his patience and tolerance, I don't know that I would have that the same because it's incredible. But I think he also knew that that group was strong right? Like with Michael and, and Scotty and different guys, he knew that he wasn't just managing that on his own. And that's the, that's, you know, that's, again, I, I think that's the ultimate compliment to a leader is that the, the environment was able to manage itself even, you know, and he was able to manage Michael Jordan and, and the team. So yeah, wonderful, wonderful to see that. A couple of coaches have asked as well, I had this on my list to ask you, about your your six month sabbatical in 2013 yeah. with your family, um, I mean it looked amazing. It looked like you blended in a bit of soccer and a bit of family time. Yeah, I'm curious how this impacted your philosophy. This is an entirely different webinar. Okay, um, for for those who don't know, I took six months with my family, went backpacking around the world after my first head coaching job. I had some, I was paid for a while, and I had some time, so we took it. Um, we went to 32 countries. We circled the globe one time, um, you know, and we, we, we backpacked. We didn't stay in Marriott's and Hyatt's and Four Seasons. We stayed in hostels and guest houses and friends' couches. <laughs> and in the end, we did it for, to, to spend time together, and that was the best reward. It was the best time I spent in my life, and our family will never forget that time. But it was, you know, and people say, oh, that must have been really rewarding and incredible for your children to, to experience that. And I say, yeah, but maybe even more so for my wife and I, right, to, to, to witness how, how different cultures live on a daily basis, to talk with parents, often through translators from different parts of the world, to see how they would de do things, what their culture valued, to, to see random acts of kindness, the way that people looked out for us and, and sometimes did things that th they never needed to do to help us find where we needed to go next or, or what we needed to do. Um, and, and, you know, and, and those experience, and, and then I often say that, you know, at the time I felt the weight of the world from my first coaching experience from what went right, what went wrong in Montreal. But I realized that in the end, when I was in India or Nepal or Laos or Jordan, nobody cared what was going on in MLS. <laughs> nobody, nobody knew my name. Nobody cared if I won or if I lost or what my record was. No one cared, right? And I think it was also important to learn that, that I do, I, I realized I, I go to work. I try to represent my club, the fans, the team, everything every day by working as hard as I can to help them be successful. In the end, sometimes it's going to work out great. And in other times I'm going to do things wrong and I'm going to try to learn from them and I'm going to try to get better. But if I feel like I'm giving everything I can and, and investing myself completely, then in theory, I'm succeeding, you know, um, Maybe the fans don't want to hear that. They want championships. But, you know, I, I feel like I, I try to create a, a, an environment that's about development and about committing and a process. And the more that we're able to do that, the more we're able to win. Brilliant. All right, last couple for you, uh, if you're okay. Okay. Joe DeMay has asked, um, Jesse stresses the importance of his staff to the process. Can he run through how he divvies up roles to Renee, Herbert and Franz, both? related and maybe psychosocial as well? Yeah, oof, that's a lot. I mean, so to start with, those are three guys that I, I didn't really know before I came. So what a, what a fun challenge that is too, you know, and their first language is German and Herbert's English is not so good. Frankie's is, is good. Renee's is okay. Um, but I've realized by being on different staffs that the more that I can give to them, and, and give them roles and, and, and believe in them, the more that they will give back to me and then ultimately what matters to the team. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, first of all, you have to access the personality types, right? So 
Frankie's a very energetic, very passionate, you know, he, he, he can be very much in your face. Renee is more relaxed. He's, he's, uh, can kind of process things carefully. He can look around and evaluate without having to be on top of everything all the time. And Herbert has an incredible way with his goalies and he's very good at kind of seeing the big picture and understanding how different things fit together at different moments and making little comments to, to, to make me think, you know, he, he almost will never say something directly to me. He'll just make little kind of uh, circular uh, reminders that, that, that make me look at things more carefully. They all have roles. You know, Frankie does set pieces a little bit more. Renee works a little bit more um, with the back line and the, and the midfielders. Um, then the goalkeeper coach, Herbert, actually he obviously works with the uh, goalkeepers. Renee does a little bit more of the opposition preparation because he knows the league better than I do. Um, and then, you know, how we communicate every day, it's, it's a little bit of everything. We have different styles, and sometimes I'll ask him to have a video, one of them to have a video session with a player because I know that maybe he needs a little bit more energy and aggressiveness on another day, or maybe I'll have Renee do it because I think they need a little bit more calm and, and, and careful explanation or, you know, so it's, it's, but it's, it's again, it's, and, and when I ask them to do things, it's not do this, do this, do this, do this. It's, you know, why don't we think about how we want to show him video on this and that, and then I trust them and I want them to go out and do their job. So it's not just delegation, it's, it's trusting them. It's not being a micromanager. It's, it's allowing room for, for leadership and for people to breathe. And that, that goes for players, for staff, the whole bit. I've learned that as I've gone on, that as a young coach, I felt like I wanted every day to go perfectly and that I needed to be on top of every detail. And it's a process. And if I say it's a process, then I have to believe in that. And I have to also help the staff put the process in place and trust that they can do it. And, and I'm really lucky here with these three guys because they do an amazing job. Amazing mm -hmm. job. And then last, last one or two then, coach development. And you mentioned there, and I thought that was great, the, the value that you got from the college game over here. Because right now there seems to be the college and the pro are both mutually exclusive. If you're looking at a, and I know there'll be a lot of college coaches on this call watching, what advice would you have for a young GA or assistant who's, who's looking at trading? Selflessness is key. Looking around and understanding exactly who your players are, exactly what your team is, and how to fill the gaps of what is necessary. And that can be a head coach, assistant coach, whatever, right? But being perceptive and, and now um, listening and being careful to and having empathy and being careful to understand what people need and different, how different personality types um, fit within a group. Um, again, you know, when I talked about the minimum standard, the one thing that I don't want to do when we create standards is cut out the personalities of people. Like personalities, like we can talk tactics and put things on a, on a board all day, but in the end, it's people that are going to make the plan come to life, right? So you have to invest in the people so that they are willing to invest in the project and ultimately the plan. So, and this is this was the case for me, whether I was a volunteer assistant at Princeton University, whether I was the head coach at the New York Red Bulls, whether I was the assistant coach in the Bundesliga for Ralph Rangnick, or whether I'm the head coach here in Salzburg. In the end, the idea of what I think a team requires in order to be successful really doesn't change based on my role. It's more the idea of what is the culture, what is the team, what is required, and how do the individuals understand how to commit fully to the group. And the more that you're able to communicate that and help facilitate that, the success is almost easy. Mm. Yeah, and then the last one was going to be about that assistant coach role with Ralph. I mean, what the, the culture change between U.S., German football, what were the challenges there? Language was the number one. Um, and then, you know, I think really fully understanding the identity of the club, the identity of the fans, uh, the identity, you know, the, the, the German Bundesliga, the, you know, really getting into depth about what was the environment that the cult that. So I use environment to describe a team uh, atmosphere and I use culture to describe a club atmosphere. Right. So culture for me is. What are the fans? What is the city? What is the country? What is the league? You know, what is the makeup of the player pool? What is the academy? What are the expectations from the fans? These kinds of things. Um, and, and, you know, 
in, in Europe, you really gotta, you really have to understand that to do the job effectively as the head coach, because you have to make sure that your team is a representative of the culture of what the club and the city and the, and the country is. So, um, but that's fun, you know? I mean, here in Salzburg, we have guys from all over the world coming together and, I, and this is our sport. I mean, I'm from Racine, Wisconsin. We don't have a lot of culture, <laughs> but you know, we do, I, I say that jokingly, we do, we do have our culture, right? It's just, it's a, it's a different kind of culture, but again, you have to understand what are you, 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 what are you falling into? What are you a part of now? And, and that's not that you're a chameleon because in the end, I still need to be very true to myself and my core beliefs as well, but do it in a way that's reflective of, of the overall culture of the club. Fantastic. Jesse, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Uh, cool. Everyone's already commenting on how much they enjoyed it. So I can't thank you enough for your time and your insight and for sharing that stuff. Just, it's uh, it's so powerful and so inspiring. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I, I say this a lot, but the last thing is when I talk about these things, the last thing I want to do is come across like I have it all figured out, right? I, I try to learn all the time. I'm always trying to adapt and look around and see what I can do better. Um, but you know, you can also see that I have passion in, 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 in the way that I think in the way that I do things. So I think confidence is important, very important, but also is learning ability and adaptability. And, and so I try to try to do both. And I, and I hope that, that you can take away some things from it, but mostly that, you know, I, I, um, you know, I love what I do and I try to try to do it with, with people. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I enjoy it and, and hopefully it was useful. Brilliant. Thanks, Jesse. Hope to see you on the pitch soon and uh, best to you and, you and the family. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All the best. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.